Before we begin, I have an important announcement to make. You may have heard the Renovaris president, Chris Hall, is retiring this February, and the search for a new president has officially begun. We're looking for a relational leader with a heart for helping individuals and churches become more like Jesus. If this is you or someone you know, you can find out more information at renovare.org slash president. That's R-E-N-O-V-A-R-E dot org slash president. The deadline to apply is September 10th. I think the invitation always is to cruciform love. It's the invitation. Are you willing to stretch yourself out, open yourself up, give yourself freely knowing that it's going to cost you? I, I think that's the invitation if we're going to follow Jesus. Welcome to the Renovare podcast, a place for honest conversations about interactive life with God. I'm Nathan Foster, and today I'm pleased to welcome back to the podcast, Jill Weber. Jill's the director of Houses of Prayer on the international leadership team for 24-7 Prayer, and she's the global convener of the Order of the Mustard Seed, an international lay ecumenical religious order. And for the last five years, Jill's been involved in a project that I think you'll find really interesting. Oh, and she's also written a book. It's titled, Even the Sparrow, a Pilgrim's Guide to Prayer, Trust, and Following the Leader. Jill, you moved from Canada to the UK and have spent five years working on a, a, a project that's at a very exciting juncture. Could, could you share with us a little about that? I started working on the project whilst I was in Canada, and it actually was the reason that I left my home in native land and <laughs> came to the UK. Uh, we are working on establishing uh, a prayer community, a new monastic community, or a house of prayer, however you want to call it, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, here at, on, at the Waverly Abbey Estate. So this is just outside of Guildford in the UK, southwest of London, and it's the site of the ruins of the first Cistercian monastery in the UK. So the Cistercians came at 1128 and uh, set up shop and prayed until the dissolution of the monasteries. Um, But actually before the Cistercians were here, this site had been given Uh, We've got an ancient letter saying that it had been given by the local Celtic king in the area, King Cadwellan, for a prayer community as early as in the 500s, 600s. And so there has been prayer on this estate for a thousand years, over a thousand years, a millennium of prayer. So it's an ancient well of prayer. And and of course, lots of other things happened as well as, as prayer often births all kinds of social care and enterprise and mission, et cetera. And uh, so, yeah, so we are, we're redigging the well. So I, I work with uh, the 24-7 prayer movement, which is an international movement that, that provides reason. We just help people pray more. <laughs> That's what we do. <laughs> we just want to help people talk to Jesus. And, um, and so we were at the very beginnings, a tiny little beginning of building what 
We believe it's going to become a mother house for the 24-7 prayer movement internationally, a mother house for the lay ecumenical religious order that I lead called the Order of the Mustard Seed, and, and then just a local center of prayer and renewal. And uh, so, yeah, so that's, that's what we're doing. There'll be a residential prayer community. Uh, that will sort of, I think we're just going to call them the host community, just hosting the presence of the Lord, hosting those who want to come in, the um, it's all kinds of uh, spiritual formation stuff coming out of here as well. And, uh, but prayer mostly, just um, talking to Jesus and making friends. Um, to a home. I think we want to create a home, a place. I love this phrase. I, I steal this phrase from my friends in the charismatic Catholic movement here in Europe. They said, we want to create a place where Jesus is loved. <laughs> and so mm. that's what we're doing. How many folks will live there? We're building capacity for 12 to 24 residential prayer community members, and they'll be kind of the hosts. We've already got people who are living nearby who are going to be part of the community as well. People are talking about moving, buying houses nearby as as well. And and uh, so the community will be larger than just live on site, but there'll be some of us here who's uh, whose role will be a hospitality place and, and, and kind of holding the fort in prayer as well. So, yeah, yeah. So just baby phases. It's very small. It's it's a twinkle in our eye and we think it's a twinkle in God's eye as well. So we're we're here. We're praying. I think historically monasteries have started by just a handful of people rocking up somewhere and starting to pray. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we're doing. Tell us a little about the Order of the Mustard Seed. Yeah, sure. Um, the current iteration of the order was founded in 2005 by um, some primarily members of the uh, of the 24-7 prayer movement, also some YWAM leaders. They were inspired by the original order of the mustard seed, which was founded in 1716 by uh, a young, he was a student at the time named Zinzendorf in Eastern Germany. He was heading off to his equivalent of uni, <laughs> university, and was really concerned about the lifestyles of, of you know, people in school. And so he created just a handful of friends with some shared commitments and some shared spiritual practices that would hold them um, to a faithfulness to Jesus and to the gospel. And he carried that through his entire life. And 24-7 has really been inspired by Zinzendorf, by uh, some of the things that flowed out of the, those commitments that he had made, uh, which included a praying community in Hernhut, Germany, uh, that started a prayer meeting uh, that went on for over 100 years. <laughs> and, uh, and then that prayer meeting turned into just an explosion of international global missions uh, way back, you know, in the early 1800s. So 24-7 is all about prayer and mission and justice. So they started to mine the treasures of that historic story and say, you know what, that, that mustard seed kind of fell into the ground after Zinzendorf died. But... Uh, if we were to dig it up, is there life in the seed for us? So they dug it up 2005, and uh, they took vows to be true to Christ, kind to people, and to take the gospel to the nations. So that's that's like Christianity 101, right? That's the Great Commission <laughs> and Great Commandment. But like every other religious order, you know, you know, whether you're Benedictine or Franciscan, you know, essentially you're just trying to live into the gospel in a particular way. 
And the way that we've done it is we've taken six practices. So, and I always forget one of them when I list them. <laughs> Prayer and creativity and mission and justice and hospitality and learning and just say, how do we, how do we kind of shape our lives around those spiritual practices and those commitments to be true, to be kind and to go? Instead of trying to tack them onto the edges of our lives, how do we actually make that the centerpiece and build everything else around it? And so that's the order of the mustard seed. It's for regular, ordinary people in their day-to-day -day lives. So we have members who are like moms homeschooling five kids. We have politicians. We have some clergy. We've got missionaries. We've got plumbers. We've got midwives. You name it, we've got it. And... Uh, it just helps us. It's really, it's just a discipleship tool. We've just got some shared commitments, some shared spiritual practices that just help us live with some focused intention towards lives that love Jesus and try and, you know, see the gospel come forth uh, wherever we are, wherever we've been planted. These are folks around the world or just in the UK? Around the world. Yeah, uh, we don't have anybody in South America yet or Antarctica, <laughs> um, but, but every other continent, yes. We're still quite small as a, as a religious order. There's about uh, 300 of us, but this year uh, we've got 100, oh, just about 140 people who are in a season of preparation to join the order. We're expecting about 200 people next year. So finding really in this interesting age we find ourselves in, <laughs> there is a longing for a deeper spirituality. There is a longing for communities of shared practice. There is a longing to sort of slightly change the social contract with each other. And so we would actually go, so how's it going? <laughs> you know, I, I meet with a member, another member of the order. We meet once a month, we sit down and we ask the questions. We're like, so were we kind to our husbands this month? <laughs> and we ask the questions, right? And, and we try and pay attention. We try and notice where God has invited us in, to live more deeply into those practices and into those commitments, just trying to respond to God's invitations. So, so I think, I think we're, we're seeing an interest in that. People want to to do it together with other people. And this, this just provides a simple framework to do it. How do you live into it? What does that look like for you personally to hold those practices, values in front of you? Well, I'm I'm a bit, you know, I, I'm perhaps not a good example because, you know, this is, I'm a monastic or a new monastic or however you want to call it, a prayer missionary as my, this is my vocation. And so probably I'll be praying a little bit more than, than your regular average person who's, you know, got another day job. But but I think I, I, my life is, is, and my days are shaped with rhythms of prayer. And so, and those rhythms of prayer, I, some of it is private prayer, but a lot of it is uh, prayer together. And one of the gifts of the pandemic, <laughs> there have been some small, small gifts, is, is we've learned that uh, we can get on Zoom. And so all of a sudden, this is one of the things that happened in the pandemic for us, because we are dispersed order, we're all over the world. We realized that we could set Zoom meetings and we could pray together. And we did, when COVID first hit, we set four times a day to pray together and just said, you know what, if there was any time that the world needed prayer, <laughs> it's now. <laughs> and so we set up these prayer watches. Initially, it's funny, 
when Zinzendorf first set up the prayer watches in Hernhut, he called it the watch of the Lord. Hernhut means the Lord's watch. And so, so we called them prayer watches. And so not all of us, but, but quite a, a number of us would gather, you know, several times a day to, uh, to first of all, strengthen ourselves in God because, you know, we, we need it in this environment we find ourselves in, but then also to intercede. You know, right now, this week, we've been interceding, of course, for, you know, the rioting in South Africa. And so, and we, and I think the beauty of, of being a dispersed order all over the world is that you get people on the call together who it's in their backyard, right? And they really care because they can see the smoke, you know, out their window. And, and so all of a sudden, world events just come right to our awareness in a whole new way, because as an international order, we're praying together about what matters to us. Um, so yeah, so building building my days around rhythms of prayer uh, has been one. Creativity, and people think creativity is gonna have to be arty or artistic. And I'm creative, but not very skilled. <laughs> so I'm more like crafty, you know, art and craft. I'm more like the craft end of things. But I, you know, I exercise my creativity in creating a new monastic community, <laughs> sure. right? That's, that's, yeah. That's what we're doing. And so hospitality is, is so important. It's a vital practice for us. And I could do a whole session on hospitality for me. I think it's my primary grace or charism of my life. But, you know, creating space for God, first of all, it's like, welcome. You are welcome. Here I am. I've got space. I've got room. God, come on in. Um, and, and then creating space for others. So, you know, for me, that looks like we're, we've got 120 acres here. So I know all the paths and we go on long walks with people and have deep conversations and listening. I'm a spiritual director. So I offer spiritual direction to groups and individuals. That's part of that hospitality as well. Yeah. Mission, justice. A lot of our justice stuff, simple way that we try and practice justice here is reduce, reuse, recycle. <laughs> you know, it's a simple <laughs> justice practice, right? Environmental justice. You know, how can we actually take seriously this creation mandate to love the world that we've been given? And so looking at ways that we can do that here in this space. And, and we've been doing a lot of work, as have many others, around addressing racial injustice as well. Uh, and so that's been some of what, what the longing in our hearts. And we found some small ways to try and live into that together. So, yeah, so those those types of things. Jill, it just sounds too good. Give, give me the messiness. <laughs> I mean, it sounds, it sounds like a really idealic life, walking, Well, praying. you know what, Greg, walking, praying. <laughs> Do you know what? Except the world is complex. I, I think for me, one of the, the difficult bits has been when our lives are small, and when we're concerned with just our immediate environment, we don't get touched by the suffering of others in the same way. And so I think one of the things that I've found personally quite difficult this year is that to be surrounded, and it, it can feel very, very heavy with, um, with all the suffering and, and as, you know, with a commitment to intercession, you know, I've got two WhatsApp groups coming in and I'm getting daily notices of people who are on the edge of eternity. And maybe God will heal them and maybe he won't. 
but we're carrying that every day. I'm seeing churches and people that I love that are blowing up because of different perspectives on on really challenging issues. And, you know, I had a report come in a couple of months ago, and all I could do for three days was weep and pray. I couldn't do anything. It just was devastating to my heart. So I'm, I'm feeling a bit tired. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it just feels like, um, there's just so much suffering. And, you know, you try and you give it to Jesus and you, I, I, I wrote something, I, I, part of the Lectio 365 app, which is, it's secretly, it's the, the prayer book of the Order of the Mustard Seed. We just let <laughs> other people do it with us. And I love it when you, when you're on, cause I go, there's my friend Jill. Thank <laughs> you. Please leave me. <laughs> well, this week I was just saying, instead of talking to, God about your problems. Why don't you talk to your problems about God, right? To get actually quite declarative and assertive and say, this is the Lord. This is what he can do. And sometimes my faith can raise up to that place and I can go, right, you know what? He is the God of the heavens and the earth. He can do anything. And, uh, but then at other times I just feel the weight of other people's crosses that they're carrying as I try, you know, we're daily bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ as we bear those burdens. It costs us. And so that, that bit is hard. And pioneering is hard, if I'm honest. I pioneered a new monastic community in Canada. Um, gosh, it's going to have its 20th anniversary this year. A little house of prayer in a little steel town outside of Toronto. And I remember the first two or three years of pioneering that prayer community was brutal. <laughs> it was so hard. <laughs> Everything that could go wrong went wrong. It was such a complex environment. And, and I mean, anybody who's pioneered anything knows that pioneering is extremely costly. Especially when people are involved, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so. Absolutely. So knowing what I know, like when I turned 50, why would I do it again? <laughs> what was I thinking to pioneer another community? And, um, you know, Jesus is, he just asked me to. So you say yes, and you know, you know how costly it's going to be. You know how difficult it's going to be. Um, and, but he's asked. And so you say yes, um, and trust that there is a joy set before me down the road <laughs> that, that will help me endure the in-between bit. Um, <laughs> that's some of the, the real bits. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. The, and I'm glad you mentioned the burden bearing. I mean, we hear that verse, but there's a real burden that you carry, uh, and secondary trauma is a real thing. Absolutely. Yeah. A noble and good calling to enter into the suffering of others. Well, I, I think we're all invited to, aren't we? I think so. Yeah. I think so. I think so. And and we can we can sort of you know, Teflon ourselves up so it all kind of you know, slides off, but I mean, if we look at the way of Jesus, and it was a descending way, it was a downward way. He didn't look you know, he didn't sit by his father's side up in heaven and go, oh, poor them. <laughs> That's not what he did. <laughs> I, I would have right? taken that. that, that works. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, he was like, no, I'm going in. I'm going down. I'm going to enter right into it with them. And, um, you know, this is, I think the invitation always is to cruciform love. Yeah. It's the invitation. Are you willing to 
stretch yourself out, open yourself up, give yourself freely knowing that it's going to cost you. I, I think that's the invitation if we're going to follow Jesus. You know, so many people today seem to have uh, caring a lot and maybe not having room to go beyond their own family or, you know, struggles that they're in. Uh, what, what would you say to that? What's, uh, do, you, do you stay there? Do you push out? Do you do both? Uh, do you know what? I, I, one of my teachers, one of my prayer teachers, I'm so grateful for her work was Ruth Haley Barton. Um, so based in the Chicago area. And I had the privilege of doing a two-year program with her uh, mm -hmm. called the Transforming Community. And she, she introduced me to a mode of intercession that I found really, really helpful because I had come from sort of a charismatic Pentecostal background where you're like, Oh Lord, rend the heavens and come down, you know, and very declarative and lots of words. And, and she introduced me to probably was more of a Quaker form of intercession where you just hold people in the presence of God in the place of stillness. You know, can we just, can we quieten ourselves? And I mean, this is where contemplative prayer is so important and solitude and silence. Can we actually drop down inside of ourselves and meet the presence of God there? And then in that place, can we hold people in His presence? And I actually picture myself holding people Really, and I and don't even have words. I don't have that because I'm not going to have the magical incantation prayer that's just going <laughs> to fix everything. I don't have that, right? Yeah. But I can hold people in His presence. And my most common prayer that because I really just run out of words is is come, Lord Jesus, mm -hmm. which historically has been quite a an effective prayer over the millennia. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus friend of mine who taught me much about prayer and I was kind of lamenting that when I go in certain spaces there's just so much suffering and I don't know I'm just overwhelmed by it and I don't know what to do and, and he says oh Nate you're supposed to pray you see all this so you can pray I said Bill how do I like I can't just you know there's a hundred people here oh oh you just walk around and just just lift them up just lifting, you know, and he kind of raised his hand and, uh, oh, okay. And, oh man, it's so, uh, oh, there you are. I see that. And I just kind of nod and I say, please. <laughs> yeah, please, please, please is a great prayer. Help is a good prayer. I think the other thing that helps me too is I, I think worship has become so vital for me. Um, I mean, always. I I wasn't I wasn't sort of a prayer person who learned how to worship. I I met Jesus when I was fourteen, and when I was fifteen, I began worship leadings. So I've always been a musician worship leader who learned how to pray along the way, and and so for me, I think um, coming into the presence of Jesus and just looking at who He is and declaring His beauty and His strength. And I mean, today we were we had our prayer. Uh, one of our prayer rhythms here just before we came on the call and we were just like Jesus you're brilliant <laughs> you're utterly brilliant you know and and I, I think then that can that helps with so many things we get the right perspective again it's so easy to lose our perspective we, be, we get we get settled in an eternal perspective and we it does lift the burden we don't need to know what to do because he knows what to do 
we don't need to be the one to fix because we can't. He is the only one. And, and, and so, you know, it's funny, different prayer communities. There's one of the famous prayer communities in the United States, of course, is the International House of Prayer, Kansas City, Mike Bickle's ministry. And those guys, I mean, they will worship twice as long as they intercede because <laughs> they know they'd learned you know, that we, it's his presence that changes everything. And he comes and he inhabits the praise of his people. So I don't know. I think that's how, so contemplative prayer and worship keeps me going. Doesn't it, it makes such a difference when there are others involved, right? I mean, it's one thing to do this on your own, but when you have a community or group or a couple people that are. It's, it saved my backside. <laughs> it seemed, in the midst of COVID, I don't know about you, but I had lots of times in COVID where my get up and go got up and left. <laughs> it was just gone. I got nothing. I, I would wake up going, really, really? You want me to get out of bed today? Are you sure? You know, but I knew that we had our call at seven and that, um, that they were waiting for me. And I was, you know, that, that, that I needed to go there. And, and when I had nothing to pray, I ran out of things to pray. I didn't want to pray. I'm like, ah, I don't want to do it. But I just dragged my sorry self into that <laughs> Zoom meeting and I was held by the prayers of others. It got me through. It got me through because I just, I just showed up whether I felt like it or not. And, um, and yeah, lots of times I had nothing, but somebody else had something and whoever, you know, we would just carry each other. Yeah, yeah. it's community. Yeah, At its I love finest. it. I love it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what is your hope for that community there at this old abbey? What would you like to see happen in the coming years? <laughs> well, first and foremost, I think I said it before, but it, I'm going <laughs> to just keep saying it. I want a space where Jesus is loved. I want a place that is for him, by him, through him, about him. I want people to walk on the property and experience the presence of Jesus just stepping in. We get these beautiful thin spaces, don't we, where people have prayed. And um, so I, I want that. I want a place um, that's for him primarily. Um, we were just singing earlier today an old vineyard song, you know, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool, where is the house you'll build for me? And then the response, here, O oh Lord, have I prepared a place for you long, have I desired for you to dwell? You know, beautiful longing. So that's, that's a deep longing. I really long for a place of restoration, where people can come off the front lines of their lives and settle in and nestle into the Lord's presence and into a loving, hospitable community. I long for a community where all the misfits can come. Only misfits need apply. The interesting thing about the new monastic movement in Protestantism is there are people out there in our cultures, in our churches, who actually have a call to a lifestyle of prayer. But because they're not Catholic, it hasn't been identified and they haven't been channeled into the monastic, you know, arenas. And so we've got monks without monasteries in the Protestant church who, who haven't ever fit because they weren't designed to fit. They were made for something else. 
And one of the joys of my life is finding people who have a vocation and inviting them into family, inviting them into a community of shared practice and saying, yeah, you know what, this is a thing. You can do this here. So a place, a home for those. I long for um, a greenhouse, creating a greenhouse that will raise up gospel champions. I think we saw it in Hernhut back in the you know, early 1800s and where they just had this community that was built around rhythms of prayer. And literally, they went 24-7 um, over 100 years. So the whole life of that community was shaped around those rhythms. And you cannot spend long in a prayer room without touching the heart of a God who weeps over a lost world. And so night and day prayer inevitably, as it always does in history, leads to global missions. People going, here I am, Lord, send me. You know, God hears the cry of, you know, refugees in Bangladesh, and then he sends someone. So I have a a passion to see somehow that we could cultivate that greenhouse where gospel champions would be raised out and go out from here to wherever just embedded, again, it's a lay order, so you don't have to be like a missionary missionary. You just get embedded on the front line of your life somewhere, but with this laser-sharp, you know, gospel lifestyle and mindset and just partnering with Jesus to make all things new. So those are some of the things I'm dreaming about. I like it. I also like that you're not walking with a lot of agenda. I don't know. That feels like an agenda. <laughs> yes, but I, I'm hearing an openness, right? Like, I mean, I'm oh. not hearing a, you know, 10-step plan of we're going to no, no, kind we of no plow plan. through this thing <laughs> or that thing. I sometimes wish we had a plan, but we, we, what we pray all the time, all the time, I'm like, Jesus, we don't want you to build our house. We want to build your house. What is the house you are building? What's the house you're building? And I learned this back building building our other house of prayer in Canada because we things went sideways on us so many times. We're like, what was that? We never saw that coming. You want us to do that? And I actually, I have a pet name for God. I call him Jehovah Sneaky. <laughs> <laughs> he just kind of sneaks up on you. He's like, surprise, didn't see that coming. You know, and so I know from experience that that we may think we know what it's going to look like. That's right. But he's going to give us the immeasurably more that we could ever imagine. He's he's much smarter than I am and much more creative. And, and um, yeah, so, so I think that's where it gets really exciting for me because we don't know. Um, and so we just keep asking him what's the next right thing. And then he shows us a thing and we do it and... Um, and then we, it's like stepping stones across a river, you know, just the next step will emerge. And I, I love that. I, now not everybody likes that. Not everybody's temperament is like that, but, but for me, I love the adventure of it. And, you know, I've been a a full-time prayer missionary monastic type for 20 years now. And people are like, oh, being a prayer missionary, that must be boring. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and it's never boring. You know, sometimes it's been awful. Other times it's been glorious. Um, it's, it's never boring because, you know, I, I, I think a lot about 
you know, really, we're just all disciples. We're just a motley little crew wandering around behind Jesus, you know, going, oh, you want us to do that? <laughs> oh, okay. I had no, there? You want us to go there? You know, and, and I feel like this is the life we get. And the adventure of that life, we just get to, we've got this beautiful rabbi who's so unpredictable, who knows what he's going to do next. And he just invites us along on the journey. And um, that's amazing. That's what I mean by being free of agenda or bound to agenda, that you're open to sneaky Jehovah. <laughs> Jehovah <laughs> you're kind of counting on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, yeah, I learned it the hard way. But I, I think, too, that's part of, of the invitation of, and, you know, your dad's written a lot of good things. I think one of the things that's wrecked me the most has been his prayer of relinquishment. And so, you know, just, just giving it all back to God. Like, I don't own anything. I don't have a right to anything. I am not entitled to anything. I have been bought with a price. I am no longer my own. We wear in the order of the mustard seed, we wear a ring to remind us of our commitments. And it says in Greek, no one lives unto themselves. So I don't know what my life is going to look like a year from now, and it doesn't matter. The freedom and not fighting for control. Yeah, yeah. And then I fight for control over important things like, which mug do I get to use today? <laughs> so we, we get attached, right, to all kinds of things. So just learning to let it all go. You know, I was, I was having a conversation with a, a friend of mine who's like a traditional monastic. And somebody asked him, like, how much milk do you want in your tea? And he's like, it doesn't matter. And I'm like, what? You know, in, in Britain, that's a big thing. Like everybody, there's these <laughs> oh, different <yeah. laughs> degrees of like whiteness of your tea. And the whole team that was with us were like, he doesn't care how much milk is in his tea. <laughs> like forget celibacy, forget the vow of poverty. <laughs> he doesn't care how much milk he has in his tea. It was just, I was so convicted by that when, you know, when I go to Starbucks and I'm like, yeah, you know, I'd like a decaf latte with sugar-free hazelnut, extra hot, please. <laughs> <laughs> and Father Colin doesn't care how much milk is in his tea. So I got a long way to go, but I'm on the journey. <laughs> if if that's the uh, worst of you trying to uh, manage things, I think you're doing all right, Jill. <laughs> Could you give us a, a quick word on how discernment works in your community? And I mean, obviously you guys are praying, but when you actually make a decision or move forward, what, is, what does that process look like? Hmm. I think, you know, it comes out of that prayer, God, we don't want to, we don't want you to build our house, we want to build your house. You know, I think it comes out of a commitment, that if we're going to follow this Rabbi Jesus who said, I do only what I see my father doing, then it, and if Jesus truly is head of his church, of which our community is a small subset, if he is the head, and if we believe that he speaks today, then probably it's a good idea to have a listen to hear how he wants to exercise <laughs> his leadership over our community. And so, so discernment for us, we, we've really drawn on, uh, Ignatian models of discernment. I think, uh, uh, Ignatius of Loyola has given just a tremendous gift to the church. In helping us to uh, pay attention to the movements of the Holy Spirit within us, uh, to pay attention to how God's Word comes alive to us in various ways as we as we interact with Scriptures, with uh, creating space for the Scriptures to speak and to transform and to invite us 
And so for us, community discernment is uh, a lot of listening, a lot of listening to God, a lot of listening to one another. I think we've learned a lot, again, from Ruth Haley Barton. I think she has got what I would call a resource that's kind of a gold standard with regards to community discernment. And she's got a book that's called Pursuing God's Will Together. And so some of the things that we've learned from that is is starting with a posture of humility, just saying, you know what, God, we need wisdom. <laughs> we need wisdom. And a prayer of this, you know, we talk about relinquishment or holy indifference. God, can we really truly come into your presence saying, God's will only, right? Not, you know, your will, not ours be done. That means that we actually have to pay attention to our own egos, to our own agendas, to our own preferences, um, and, and be willing to let that go and say, okay, well, what do you want, Father? What would, what would please you? And, um, and so that being able to pray that prayer of indifference. And then, and also she talks about a prayer of quiet trust. In the scripture, she loves to get people to pray through is this whole, I have stilled and quietened my soul like a weaned child with its mother. And so actually relaxing into the care of God and the provision that he gives us, knowing that, that if we ask and if we listen and if we listen together, that, that he'll speak and he'll lead and he'll guide. And, um, and so we, we try and cultivate that space together. Another part of that for us is listening deeply to one another, which means that for that to happen, there has to be safety in the room and in the relationships. Um, for me, as, as kind of the leader of the community, my role is to facilitate the community hearing God's voice. And so, so if I come in with my agenda and my big, big old plan, it's not going to be helpful to our process. And so, but if I can pull the wisdom out of the room of the different individuals, in particular the minority reports, the people who've got concerns, the people who see things differently. And if we listen hard, I think oftentimes, you know, God will show us a way through. And, and you know, we, we do practice community discernment, but just, just to clarify, um, we're, we don't, we don't make decisions by consensus all the time. It, you know, if I, sometimes somebody needs to make a decision and, and so if I need to, I will, but, but I, but I've learned the beauty of if we, if we can come to that moment of it seemed right to the Holy Spirit and to us, something lands in our spirit. My spiritual director calls it a thunk. <laughs> something just kind of thunks. And, and we just know, you can even sometimes see the, the, the people's energy, and I'm not talking like woo-woo energy, but just their, their own excitement or vitality, you know, people will just come alive in a moment and be like, oh, yeah, pay attention. That's it. God's speaking to us. So, so it just means really paying attention. Phrase I'll use is it rings. And I think of like a tuning fork or two notes. Just, yeah. It sings. It creates a. It sings. Go, I like oh, that. there it is. There it is. There it is. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's a bit of, of what we do. And, and um, we watch and we wait to see what God brings our way to. So we're waiting on some things right now that we don't have the capacity to make happen. And so and one thing that, that a scripture that was really important to us early on was, you know, in a man's heart, we make our plans, but it's the Lord who establishes our steps. So we're carrying a lot of 
plans and, and visions in our heart, but, but we know that there is, God knows sort of the order of operations. He knows what needs to happen first and second and third. And, um, and he knows better than we do. And that means that mostly we wait and we watch and we pray. And we try and keep our relationships good. There was, there was this wonderful community back um, post-Second World War uh, in Germany led by a woman named Basilia Schlink. And um, they were developing a prayer community. And they had this tremendous, it was, it's a beautiful story where they, whenever there was something that would be a barrier or they, they kind of hit a wall in terms of like, okay, we've done all we can do to get to the next phase nothing's happening and we, we don't have maybe enough money, we don't have enough resource or what they did at that point was they were like, I wonder if there's anything in our relationships with one another that need attention. And if I wonder if there's actually, uh, if there's repentance is needed. And, and so it actually became a charism of that community or a, just a tremendous gift that they were to themselves, but around them of, you know, we will, we will follow Jesus. And if, if the way feels blocked, we will stop and we will tend to our relationships and we will repent. And I was chatting with a friend of mine, um, Jared Patrick Boyd, who leads a missional order in the vineyard movement here in the States. And they're believing too for a, a prayer community, a new monastic community. He said this most amazing thing got me. We were praying into it today. And he said, we've been praying that God would make us the kind of people that he would entrust with the prayer community and monastery. And so convicting. It's like, okay, Jesus, you know, shape us so that we're trustworthy enough to hold the gift that you want to put into our hands. I love this idea of a, and, and I, I think you can extend it to a, a church or a ministry or family, or a small group to, to pause, right? And go, wait a minute, are there apologies that need to be made? Are there, you know, is, is there repentance? Um, man, because so often that's secondary or only, only when that blows up do people tend to some of these things that are, God just seems so intent on his children playing well together. <laughs> Well, I think that's where he commends his blessing, doesn't it? Right? I think that's, what is that, Psalm 133? You know, how good and how pleasant it is when brothers, brethren and sisterin dwell together in unity. It's like oil, precious oil, running over Aaron's head, down his beard. There the Lord bestows his blessing now and forevermore. I think there's, yeah, there's something to that. There's something there. You know, we want to see God do amazing things, you know, God-sized things, and, um, and He wants our hearts, He wants our relationships, He wants the kingdom of God amongst us. If He can't trust us with a little handful of relationships, you know, why would He give us more? How would that make any sense? Jill, I love hearing your journey. I love what you're doing. You're, you're on my wish list to visit one day. <laughs> We're not much to look at. We're we are small, but we're cute and feisty. You know, I would say this. We would say this about our, our prayer community back in Canada. I said we are not the biggest or most successful prayer community in Canada. So we're not the most talented prayer community in Canada, but we're the stubbornest. <laughs> we're the most stubborn, and uh, and I'm really grateful that the kind of the circle of friends that have have come around here for this seed community is what we call it. Um, 
They are so resilient. They are so perseverant. They are so true. And um, I just feel so deeply privileged to be in that circle of friends as we believe God to build something amongst us. We're cultivating. Yeah, the last time I was heard the Lord quite clearly about what we're building here at Waverly, He just said, cultivate this place. And so that's what we're doing. We're just cultivating. And that was Jill Weber. You can find out more information about Order of the Mustard Seed at orderofthemustardseed.com. You can also hear my first interview with Jill on episode 187. And again, Jill's book is titled Even the Sparrow, A Pilgrim's Guide to Prayer, Trust, and Following the Leader. You can find links to these resources, as well as the prayer of relinquishment that she mentioned in the show notes for today's episode. I'm Nathan Foster, and you've been listening to the Renovare Podcast. This work is made possible by the generosity of donors like you. Thank you. You can support Renovare and this podcast with a tax-deductible gift at renovare.org donate. Renovare is a Christian ecumenical renewal effort offering resources and experiences to help people become more like Jesus. You can find articles and other resources at our website, renovare.org. Do subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast, and we love hearing your questions or thoughts. You can email podcast at renovare.org or tweet at renovare. This podcast is produced by Brian Morricon, who also wrote the opening song titled Be Kind. Till next time, be well, friends. Be well.